Welcome to our 2024 Master B2B Predictions for B2B e-commerce. My name is Brian Beck. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Andy Hoare, my partner at Master B2B. Uh, for those of you who don't know Andy, longtime veteran of B2B e-commerce, Silicon Valley vet. He was uh, at, with Forrester Research running B2B e-commerce there for seven years, now the CEO of Paradigm B2B. Andy, excited about our predictions today. Welcome. For those of you who don't know Brian and his zigzaggy shirt, um, <clears throat> Brian uh, is a 20-year industry veteran. Uh, he's been, uh, I sometimes to joke that he's been like a B2B e-commerce action figure. He's been a systems integrator. He's been an author of a book called Billion Dollar B2B Commerce, which I actually have right here, Brian. Excellent. I took it out of the trash and I found it, so there it is. You're rough, uh, man. And uh, he's also the uh, managing partner, in all seriousness, of a, a company called Enceba, where he helps companies uh, sell more effective, B2B companies sell more effectively on Amazon. Did I miss anything, Brian? Uh, that's about it, Andy. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And we've got some great predictions, folks. And, you know, this is a this is a, a webcast. So, and we've got some special guests lined up to join us to comment on whether we think that we got these predictions right or wrong. And you as the audience, you get to vote on to whether or not you think we got them right or wrong. Well, at the end of each of our six predictions today, we're going to post a poll and ask you if you think we got them right. And we're going to hold ourselves a little bit accountable here, Andy, to what we did last year. Um, but, you know, Andy, this is a great group. I was looking at the list as, as we're getting started here of who, who's joining us. We've got Stanley Black and Decker here. We've got uh, Nick from Toyota's here, Kimball Midwest, Jeff Reichert's here, Cisco, Rents Weintraub. Hey, Rents, nice to see you. Don Foods, 3M, Ergodine, Teresa Kuski's here. We've got Carrier Enterprise, Vincent the Monster Mugavero. Remember the monster? He was a oh, yeah. guest on our one of our um, on webinars. Haynes Supply is here, Owens Corning, Hershey's, Schneider Electric. So it's a who's who, Andy, of, of our industry as usual. And, uh, you know, really, I think, curious about what we think is going to happen in 2024 in B2B e-commerce. So we'll, we'll get into that uh, in, in just a moment. Uh, but before we do that, we want to talk a little bit about our 2023 predictions and whether we think we got them right or not. So why don't we go ahead and share uh, a little bit about that? So, Andy, you put this together for us. Why don't you take us through this? Well, I'm happy to say we got most of them correct. Uh, uh -huh. So just going down the list, um, distributors will get squeezed by vertical marketplace. I think there's a lot of evidence, anecdotal and uh, empirical, that that, in fact, is happening and happened. Is power shifting from B2B employees to employers? No doubt about that one. That one happened in spades. And yep. by the way, these percentages were what people voted last year, mm -hmm. um, whether they agree with the prediction or not. Um, so is the C-suite transformed into the D-suite? That's one where maybe it didn't happen as quickly as we had hoped for. Uh, and in fact, we have another prediction about that coming up. But you know, look at the number. Last year, 76% of people predicted it was going to happen. So there's definitely... A desire for this. The problem with this, as always, is, you know, I remember reading once about startup companies and somebody said, all problems are people problems. So the reality is this is exactly what's happening in the larger organization. The more pronounced the people problem is. Uh, do sales teams finally get sold in digital as a way to make them more money? I think this one actually did happen. It has been happening. Uh, I think the pandemic certainly accelerated this. And I think this 53% number, which is right on the edge, uh, I know the clients I've worked with this this year, and I think you have as well, have reported back to us that salespeople are now starting to see it. The tools exist. 
Yes. Make digital enablement possible. <clears throat> uh, there's a lot of evidence that you can offload sort of the recurring stuff, the low value stuff to the mm -hmm. friendly 24 seven website and then focus on consultative selling. So uh, that one I think is also the case. Does search and discovery take priority over personalization in B2B uh, for 2023? We predicted that they were going to focus more on search and discovery and less on personalization, which is a far more complex kind of notion in B2B because usually groups are, as opposed to individuals, buy these things. And so how do you personalize for a group? Uh, but I think we saw a lot of evidence that there was a kind of a shift back toward the nuts and bolts of search and discovery as opposed to trying to personalize everything. Right. Uh, and then the last one is 100% of the people on the call last year said major data quality issues will still persist. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice one to end on. We have another prediction about that. Yes. Did that one happen in 2023, Brian? I think it did, right? It's continuing. And seriously, <laughs> folks, I mean, this is the, the hot topic of our roundtables we're doing in regional markets around the country now, where, you know, data and you know addressing it with AI and other things, you know, can it be solved that way, et cetera. It's a hot topic. It is persisting and it will continue. So we'll get into our predictions for 2024 on that and other things here in just a moment. So I think we need to go ahead and roll our first prediction for 2024. Let's see who our first special guest is, I think it might be Nostradamus. Prediction. <laughs> oh man, I, I just love that. This is the funniest thing. So Andy, um, let's talk first about our first prediction here, which has to do with, uh, with AI. So we, you know, this has been all the buzz this year, Andy, in 2023. And, you know, the hype, the prediction number one for 2024, the hype over AI or generative AI is real and the overhype is also real. Well, what the heck do we mean by that? Well, let's share a couple of data points here. We think that, you know, there's certain aspects of AI that are actually quite uh, productive and can be used today, but also there's, there's a lot of buzz around it, which isn't necessarily warranted. Here's a quote from McKinsey, September 2023. Gen AI is only in its nascent stages of development and usage. This smart technology is only going to get more intelligent. And those who don't learn to work with it starting now will be left behind. Okay, McKinsey, gloom and doom. But what is what's practically being used? Well, Brian, what, can I just intercede here? Because do you realize that was done before ChatGPT actually became pervasive, which only happened earlier this year. This was September of 2023, right? Oh, I'm sorry. That is this year. So that, I take it back. Come on, Andy. Stay with the times, man. <laughs> so 90% of our B2B buyers organizations plans to leverage AI as part of the digital strategy in some way. So this is saying that buyers organizations are planning to use this now over the next 12 months, primarily to forecast sales and provide a better user experience. This is a survey of 150 B2B executives just last month in October 2023. So, I, you know, from our perspective, what we're saying here is there's going to be some practical use cases which have emerged and are continuing to emerge. And we'll share a couple of those in just a moment. So the, the fact of the matter is, though, trust remains a significant concern amongst B2B users. Inaccuracy, cybersecurity, intellectual property infringement are the most cited risks, number one being inaccuracy of the potential um, uh, data. that's And so you hear about, Andy, hallucinations and other things. So there's also some concerns and risks around the use of this. So when we asked our, our group on LinkedIn 
you know, when it comes to solving the data problem in B2B, is AI really ready for prime time? 60% said, yes, it can be used today. This was a poll less than a month ago. No, hold off. It isn't ready. We think that it is ready and that the, some of the hype is warranted, but not all of it. It's not, you can't just turn it on and forget about it. So our prediction is AI will be significantly utilized next year, but it's still going to be a bit of a discovery uh, process. Andy, any thoughts before we bring in our special guest on this one? Yeah, you know, I think it's a mixed bag, um, but generally the trajectory is up, but there are, it's not a no-brainer. There are certainly some issues around AI that are worth considering that hold things back. And it's important to know, and we're going to talk to our special guest about this, there's a difference between AI and Gen AI. Right. And maybe that's a good uh, segue to bring in uh, Shireen. All right, let's bring in our special guest, Shireen Reed, Director of Product Marketing at Coveo. Now, for those of you who don't know Coveo, they they live and breathe this stuff all day long. This, this I mean, you, you guys have been at this for a while, Shireen. Uh, so, welcome, first of all, to the to the to the to the uh, webcast. Why don't you tell us, Shireen, whether you think we're right or whether you think we're wrong? Okay, well, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be here. And yeah, so first off, I think I agree with you to some extent on this one, but then there's big caveat, right? So coming from Coveo, as you just mentioned, and our company is really has AI as a core part of you know the platform, uh, right. we can't lump all AI together. So uh, some of it is hyped, I would say, and some of it's definitely not. So under the AI umbrella, if you think of things like you know machine learning, uh, deep learning, and then that other part, which is the large language models, the LLMs, the generative AI. So those are all a little bit different. Um, we've been doing this for 10 years now on the machine learning and the deep learning side. And we've seen like a lot of adoption, specifically in B2B over the last two to three years, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of results in terms of, you know, how you can actually manage that experience layer. So things like search recommendations, faceting, all that stuff. Um, and it definitely, we've seen impacts um, in terms of, you know, improving findability, better relevance, higher conversions, average order value, all those things, all those good metrics that people care about. And that really can add up, you know, to the magnitude of millions of dollars for some of our customers. So definitely, I don't think there's any overhype on that side. But if we now look specifically at what's gotten everyone excited over the last year, and that's chat GPT and Gen AI, uh, there's definitely a little bit of overhype going on on that end. Um, I think we've seen, you know, excitement in being able to, you know, do things like write a poem or an essay in a few minutes on a Saturday night or, you know, trying to uh, scam the teachers by not actually doing all of the work and the research there. But um, it kind of gave us an excitement around what could potentially be applied in a business context and, you know, certain business use cases. But I think when it comes to actually operationalizing that, it's been it's been a, a lot harder than what people expected. So um, I'm just going to give you some examples here. Over the nine, last nine months or so, we've had a lot of conversations with CIOs across our customer base because they were deep into evaluating whether they wanted to go ahead with some of these projects. And there were some real concerns there around, and we dubbed them the CIO headaches. So can Gen AI really be enterprise ready? And that you know ranges from, and you touched on some before, like security and accuracy, 
the way we even set up that experience for people, right? Are we going to have a search box over here and then a Gen AI experience over here? How do we interact with the information? Where does that content live? How accurate is that content that lives? And what's the security and the permissions on who can access it? Um, cost is another big one. I mean, Gen AI experiences right now can be a hundred times more expensive than a current search experience if it's not engineered right. Wow. So you really need to have, you know, a good business case, I'd say, or at least a business hypothesis that's mm. going to support that type of expense or investment. What's driving that screen? hundred times more expensive. Is it just labor and workflow and management of, of, the, of the prompt? No, it's the processing on, on being able to compute all of that information, the large language models. You have to, you know, do certain, you have to engineer it properly to have vectors and such and chunks of the data so that you can, the computational effort is a little bit less. So yeah, there's going to be, you know, in the next year or so, probably a lot of efficiencies to be gained, but for right now it's very expensive. Yeah. So what are some of the practical use cases you're seeing for this? It sounds like it's used a lot in obviously in search and product findability, right? Uh, for AI. Now, for, for the Gen AI aspect, we see actually some really exciting use cases happening like right now. And I think uh, you were talking about maybe this being an impact later down in the time horizon, but I actually think it's going to start to show some impacts or has started to show some impacts right now. And it's going to pick up in 2024. Um, we see some early adoption of it. And one of our customers, for example, and some of them is like really compelling. They've adopted it for, um, there's a company called Zero, one of our customers, and they provide accounting software to other businesses. And they've used generative answering solution live on their site. And they've been able to run some A-B tests to see, you know, is it effective? Is it not effective? And amazingly, they've been able to improve their case deflection rate by like 20% on their site. So that's like service and support area. So you think, oh, well, maybe it doesn't apply so much on the commerce front, but it does because you can quickly see how, you know, translating that to commerce can be really, really exciting because people that come to your site aren't just necessarily the ones that come to just quickly find something, order, you know, put something in their cart, reorder, uh, yeah. find a part quickly. There's that audience, but you also have a, like a wider set of audiences that might be coming to your site. Think of like all the engineers that are there to like educate themselves right. around your uh, your products. Interesting. Interesting. And that can have like huge, huge impact. We have a customer of ours who's in the electronic components uh, space, their distributor. And what they're looking to do is attract more engineer users to their site because they can see an enormous impact that flows through to their revenue. Um, and it can translate to a lot of dollars because think of it, uh, engineer comes to your site, um, they, they go and they, they're they looking for information. And then you have all of this rich content maybe that you've indexed and that's surfacing up and that you can produce answers from. So like product brochures, market guides, anything like that, technical sheets. Right. Um, and so now they've sourced a component. They try that they're for a new product that they might be designing and they put that component in there. They've ordered maybe 40 components, not a, not like a big transaction. But then they start manufacturing that new product then you're looking at knock-on orders from that, like $100,000, $300,000 maybe down the line. So they see a huge potential in this and in, in creating those experiences to draw these other audiences in. Excellent. Well, I think we, we got to leave it there and go to our poll question, Shereen. Thank you very much for that those specific examples. And let's go ahead and pop the poll question, see if uh, the audience agreed with our prediction. Sounds like, Shereen, you mostly did, which is great. Thank you. 
Um, and uh, appreciate those. So go ahead and pop the poll question there, Robert. Let's. Uh, so will Gen AI finally pay off in B two B in twenty twenty four? Yes. Uh, the hype is real or no, it's still overhyped. Go ahead and submit your answer there. Andy, I've seen the same thing in terms of use case. You know, a lot of it's in the on the service side, product findability, things like that. That's where I think it really will shine in 24. Shereen, you know, actually, Shereen that, mentioned something when we, we talked to her uh, for the prep for this call. She actually had a great line that she didn't mention here, but I'll do on her behalf, which is she said, right. you're not going to lose your job to AI. But you will lose your job to a competitor using AI. <laughs> that's great. That's and great. I think that's really well said. I think it's also the case that uh, um, you know generative AI is a, a very different animal from AI. And I'm glad she pointed that out as well. And which is why we think that there are some over the horizon use cases here that I don't think even people have imagined now. We've gotten a little ahead of ourselves with some of those, but mm. there are some real use cases, and people should be really concerned. I think on the job front, and companies should be really hopeful about the ability to increase productivity with Gen AI. Gen yep. AI. So I'm looking forward to this one, but I think we got this one right that some of it's overhyped, but some of it is not. I, I, I totally, and I'm hearing that across practitioner landscape, Andy, for sure. Well, Shreen, thanks for joining us. We have to move on. Uh, everyone, hopefully, voted. Uh, thank you again for your your comments. So let's go on now to. Number two, prediction two. Prediction two. I love how Robert integrated some laughter into that. Robert, nicely done. <laughs> um, really funny. So um, there we go. Prediction number two. Andy, you want to lead us through this one? Yeah. So we want to play on words here. So say goodbye to the CDO. Say hello to the CDO. What do we mean by this? Well, Traditionally speaking, the CDO was called the Chief Digital Officer. And we actually believe that in 2024 and beyond, we're going to see a transition where the Chief Digital Officer is going to sort of lose some altitude in terms of the CDO acronym and what's going to effectively step in to replace that. And we think years from now, it'll be a foregone conclusion that that CDO will, in fact, be the Chief Data Officer. Yep. Now, they're not exactly mutually exclusive it isn't the case that you know a zero-sum game where you get one but not the other but the reality is we have seen the chief digital officer kind of play out here for a couple of years and before we move to the next slide i wanted to just comment quickly on this that you know you and i have talked about this a lot brian that the chief digital officer has has become a catch-all for somebody who's responsible for e-commerce etc <laughs> and right. I'm not sure we know what the et cetera part is here. And if there's not PL responsibility tied to it, if there isn't a real business tied to it, if it's just a center of excellence with a title in front of it, slapped in front of it, we don't believe actually it's going to be a very successful thing. And we've seen this play itself out. There's some very good chief digital officers out there who actually do have PL responsibility and they are successful, but there are quite a few out there who just have this title of chief digital officer as though the Oracle of Delphi for all things digital. And I think the reality is if nobody owns the business here, it's really a business function. Uh, it can't just be, like I said, a center of excellence for all things digital because everything in the organization is digital. In fact, I think you made a really interesting comment once, but only once, that uh, chief, <laughs> the chief digital officer is the CEO. That's right. I do believe that. And 
Yeah, I think the CDO uh, role has not, in mo most cases, been set up for success. Chief Digital Officer. But let's get into some of the data here, and you know what? What you know? Why is the Chief Digital Data Officer now so important, Andy? Why do we think that's gonna that's gonna? Yeah. Come so up? we've had several conversations this year with a variety of executives, and we keep coming back to these kinds of data points, which is that you know Gartner predicted forty percent of businesses fail to achieve the objectives due to missing incomplete or inaccurate data. I mean, I often describe data as the water that runs through the city. Everybody right. dumps everything in there, but you got to drink out of this thing too. And if right. it's dirty and in this case incomplete, it's not going to be you're, you're not going to have a very healthy ecosystem. And I think, you know, Gartner was early to this, others have pointed this out too. And companies that are farther along in their digital journey always come back to the same point, which is we did everything else and the data dragged us down. There are other couple of data points here uh, to, to suggest here. Robert, next slide. This one's an oldie but a goodie that bad data costs the U.S. economy $3 trillion per year. And I'll bet this is actually a low number right. because I'm not even sure. I mean, it was the Harvard Business Review, so it's a, a reputable source. But how do they even calculate $3 trillion? My sense is it's a lot worse than that. Yep, yep. Um, you know, and going on here. So what is a chief data officer? I think there's been some confusion around that. And I think this is a pretty good description. So I'm going to just read it. The chief data officer is the senior person with a business focus. That's key. They don't just get lost in data. Who understands the strategy and the direction of the business. Again, two times in this description, the word business comes up. But they're focused on how to underpin that business with data. And so their job is, how do we feed this thing with the right kind of data? Again, I don't know. I can't think of a more critical part of an organization because from my perspective, the one thing without question that separates one company from another company is their data. You can't argue the people necessarily. You can't argue the customers necessarily. Those things are fungible. But the data is unique to an organization. If you don't get that right, you're kind of screwed. Well, I think too, Andy, that you know, we think that in the making this prediction, we believe that companies will finally recognize the importance of this function and give it a C title. And you know, you may argue, well, isn't it, isn't this a passing function? You get the data cleaned up and off you go. Well, we think that companies are gonna are going to make this a priority because they've been talking about it for years. Now we hear amongst practitioners um, in looking at some of this data that this issue has come to a head. 2024, not every company is gonna have a chief data officer, but we we think we're gonna see an emergence of a class of people here and it's going to uh, grow in the next year. Well, and to that point, two quick slides about where this stands right now. So the latest data we have is from, uh, I think, 2021 on this, and it's not specific to B2B. So round the numbers down, but right. only 21% of the top 2,500 publicly traded companies had a CDO in place. And half of them had reported in the last, appointed in the last two years. So it's right. a very new thing. That trajectory is interesting. And then yeah. the last slide here, this one's stunning to me. 42% of CDOs, remember, chief data offices are still not members of the C-suite? Crazy. What's the C for? Exactly. <laughs> like, but, you know, we actually polled this um, yes, yeah, a couple months ago, and we said in 2024, which CDO should BDB companies hire? And I think mostly because the companies we're talking to are still early into this yeah. evolution, this will definitely change. But still, the vast majority are saying if you had to choose one or the other, 
go for the chief digital officer. But I think we've actually laid out the more advanced companies have been down that path and realized, you know what, that's a great thing. Nothing inherently wrong with it, but it better have PL responsibility. And don't forget, without the data, none of this happens. Yeah, no, 100% agree with that, Andy. And I think, um, you know, it's it's fascinating to me. The market in B2B, it's just another example of, of where they're sort of still catching up to, you know, B2C. So in terms of the, the percentages. So let's, uh, that's our, our prediction number two. We need to move on for time's sake to prediction. Oh, wait, we got to, oh, not, hold on. Hold that thought. Thank you, Robert. Will chief data officer emerge in B2B in 2024? Please go ahead and ask answer your question to see if we agree with us. Almost uh, messed up our process there, Andy. But Well, so we, we turned this one down a little bit because we believe that right now the more appropriate question is, will the chief data officer emerge in B2B right, in 2022? Right, right. It's not will it replace the chief digital 